relationships with casting directors that's based on a consistent body of work. I love those words. Consistent body of work. That's your goal. That you are an actor that they know can deliver and they're not afraid to bring in front of directors and producers because you're not going to embarrass them. You are a solid choice. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 215, we sit down for part three of our chat with actress Jenna Fisher. You guys are really digging this one, and we are too. And in part three, we dig into the value of working with creative friends, setting yourself up for synchronicity, how good work air quotes, good work, is the true currency of professional relationships. Amen to that one. And one piece of advice that Jenna has for new actors that completely changed her game. That and so much more coming up in episode 215, so stick around. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro. Yep, Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, which is the essential app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, and a whole lot more, you can just go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn all about the great new features coming in this next newest version of this groundbreaking app, Rehearsal Pro, coming in early 2016. Reserve your copy right now at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey guys, how's it going? So for the catch-up this week, Trevor and I did have some stuff going on this week. Um, I know Trevor's been writing like a madman because of his participation in NaNoWriMo, and I had an audition, so things were busy, but uh, we kind of felt like we couldn't actually talk about anything when something so, I don't know what the word is to use, has recently happened. So we're recording this a day after the Paris attacks, and felt like we couldn't really talk about anything else. It just feels weird to talk about, you know, the entertainment industry when there's something so um, intense going on. Trevor and I both were like, well, what what value do we have to like to, to bring on the podcast on, on this incident? And then Trevor found like this awesome, well, you said you saw it this morning, right? This awesome quote that uh, you wanted to read on the on the show, which actually is the perfect it sort of sums up how we've been feeling, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, I think we're all guilty of this. But this is a quote uh, from a, com- a comedian named Anthony Yeselnik. I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, we have a link on our website, which links to the YouTube video from which this quote is kind of pulled. It's a, one of his stand-up routines. And I found this link on The Minimalists website, which is just theminimalists.com. And in that in that link, which is also in the show notes of this episode, you can read the full post of what uh, of what they had to share which is right on point. So here's the quote from Anthony. 
He says, when something horrible happens, everybody runs to social media and writes the exact same thing. My thoughts and prayers are with the victims. And do you know what that's worth? Fucking nothing. Less than nothing. You aren't giving any of your time, your money, or even your compassion. All you're saying is, don't forget about me today. So the spirit of this is obviously not in the, in the intention of, of the, the words. Um, the spirit is, is thinking that that's enough. That just by saying that, you've done your due diligence as a compassionate human being. So rather, you know, I think it's great that we show solidarity with people who are affected by this kind of thing. Um, which is all of us, you know, by, by changing our Facebook profile photo and putting up a peace sign and, and, you know, throwing up haikus and things like that, like I did, but, but really it's, it's got to go a step further if we want to create any sort of lasting change in this world. And that means possibly donating uh, a little bit of money to the, to the charity, uh, efforts, uh, or if that's not your thing, donating your time and resources to something or make it as simple as, just giving somebody a hug or buying a cup of coffee for a stranger or letting somebody merge into traffic in front of you when you're not feeling it. Like, do come from kindness. You know, I mean, I'm of the mind that when something like this happens, it's all of our faults. Like, we are all responsible for the world that we create. And if people are are blowing things up and shooting people and, you know, no matter what culture they're from, no matter what beef they have with what government or what, pol- you know, foreign policy, it's still up to all of us to co-create this world together. And the less that we come from compassion and kindness and thinking of other people and a place of service, the more we're going to see this kind of thing. So, you know, I... I I'm I'm really grateful that I saw this this morning. I think the minimalists are, are great guys. I'm, I follow their been following their work for a long time, and I think this is a, a really great thing to highlight. That yeah, it's great to show your solidarity and say your thoughts and prayers are with those people. And and let's take it a step further, everybody. Like I I, I want to invite everybody listening to this to to kind of join hands and consciously, proactively come from a place of compassion and kindness and love. And like, let's just go out and do something differently in the world. So this shit stops happening. I know that was beautiful. I, I'm, I don't really have anything to add. Just, just it, it, it's, except to say, you know, it's about, it's about co-creating the world that we want to see, you know, <clears throat> be the change. I, I, I immediately, you know, I knew, a guy at work who uh, went to school is he did elementary and high school I think in in uh, in Paris and or in France rather and as soon as I saw him in at work yesterday I said you know uh, are you okay like is ever you know and it really is just about extending kindness so yeah I guess that's your homework for the week huh our listeners like how can you go out and just make the world a better place today leave it better than you found it show kindness. In, in any possible way. And the collective positive energetic injection into the world will hopefully combat, at least in some form, uh, what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let's go ahead and just connect this to acting really fast. I mean, what are we doing when we're acting? We're telling stories. We are creating culture. We've said it time and time again on this show that the, 
the most efficient and most uh, potent way that culture is transmitted from one generation to the next is through stories. And we are in the business of telling stories. We tell stories through what is arguably the most emotionally impactful medium ever created in the history of the planet. So we have we have a responsibility there too to be responsible with our storytelling and not reckless and 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 come from a place of service with that. You know, we every every word we say, every action we take, every breath we take is co-creating this world. And are we taking it, you know, in an upwards trajectory or a downwards trajectory? That's that's all I think that really needs to happen. It's just for all of us to be aware of what of what our impact um, is from moment to moment. And you know, for us as, as storytellers and actors and artists, it's like magnified a hundred times. And that's the, the beauty and the, the mm, I don't want to say burden, but the weight of it. You know, it's like, well, okay, we, we've chosen this lifestyle. We've chosen this role in the world. So what are we going to do with it, with that power? This episode is brought to you by VOTagogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VOTagogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2Gogo.com slash start. So we have a, 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 an email from a listener named Susan who's really just essentially, if you boil it down, just looking for some advice on her uh, secondary learning. Um, in other words, uh, she's 19 years old. She took a couple of years off after graduating from high school, and now she's looking for um, film schools, really, uh, not necessarily acting schools. And, you know, just trying to navigate the difference between a conservatory program versus a liberal arts degree, et cetera. Um, she thinks she's narrowed it down to conservatory programs and has been looking into New York Film Academy, Los Angeles, and oh, New York Film Academy, Los Angeles. They actually have NYFA, actually has a Los Angeles uh, campus, uh, the American Film Institute, AFI. And she's seen mixed reviews about uh, New York Film Academy, but AFI is like four times the money, and she doesn't really know where to go from here. So just looking for some advice. We've had similar questions to this on the podcast before. One of the things, one of the gut reactions I have to this, Susan, is I, I would never want you to make money a main reason why you don't do something. Because to me, that sounds like a fear-based conversation or a scarcity conversation. I think there's a way of being responsible about your choice and at the same time like going for what it is that you want. UCLA didn't give me any money, and like many Amer- young Americans, I am still to this day paying off student loans, and I don't know when that will ever ch- You know, I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon, but at the same time, I'm very aware that that was the right choice, and everything in my bones was telling me to go there. So, you know, trust your gut, too, on top of it. Um, and a conservatory program, that's that's... That's intense because you're, you're essentially saying, like, I'm not going to do anything else but learn how to be a filmmaker for however long these programs are, two, three, four years, as opposed to, you know, getting a liberal arts degree where you're taking, you know, general ed- education classes as well. So it sounds like you 
really know that that's what you want to do and, and you're ready to dive in. So I wouldn't shortchange yourself about what it is that you want. Trev, did you have anything you wanted to add to no, that? Yeah, I think that's great. The only thing I would add in there is that Susan, I just want to applaud you for being so specific about what you're looking to do. I think yeah. it's great. I mean, I mean, she's, you know, right off the bat, she took two years off. She went straight into, you know, work, training herself as an actor, getting experience as an actor. Now she's going back to school and she's very specific about the school she wants to go to. She's doing her homework. She knows she wants to work uh, extensively in production and get a feel for how the whole kind of animal works. And I think that's amazing. That that kind of perspective uh, is is really fantastic. And just based on that, just based on the verbiage of your of your email to us, I would go with you, AJ, and say, you know, don't let money be a deciding factor because just based on what you've written here and how you've presented it, I don't think money's going to be a, a huge problem for you <laughs> as you get as you get older. And if you're only 19 years old and you're already thinking like this, I think you're going to be just fine. And go with your gut, go with what uh, with what feels the most appropriate for you. Obviously, don't, you know, pretend money's not an object. Be responsible about it. But, you know, you only live once. Do what your gut is calling you to do. I would say, too, like, get, get creative about it, you know, on on that front. Like, maybe there's, um, maybe you have a, maybe you have a relationship or you could create a relationship with a producer or a production company or something out there and just say, hey, look, I'm about to go to school for film. Um, when I come out, I'm going to have, like, this experience, this experience, this experience, and this experience. If I, you know pledge my allegiance to your production company and say, you know, even do so on paper, would you be willing to kick me a few bucks for my tuition? Mm, you know, yeah. and then when I get out, I will work for you. I will be, I will work for your, your production company specifically. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, but I'm just, I'm spitballing. No, that's, the idea, the idea came to me and I couldn't, I didn't want to pass it up. <laughs> that's a great, that's a really, really great call. And you know, on that note, I, I dated a girl in high school, um, who went to Harvard for her undergrad and then Penn for her grad um, schoolwork and her yeah, parents, me, me too. Her, her parents did not kick in at all for any of this. I mean, they were fine. You know, I grew up in a very wealthy township and it's not like anybody was there was hurting for money, but they were, you know, they were not saving the day for her. They were teaching her the value of providing for herself. And she was a little older than me. And she was going through the college application process and things like that. And she would spend the weekends at the library just, and this was before the internet was like a big thing. That's kind of how old we're getting, <laughs> but she would be at the library just researching, uh, all these books and, and all these scholarships and funds and grants that are available to students and nobody knows about them. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands out there available to students anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to tens of thousands of dollars. And they're just waiting for somebody to fill out the application and apply for it. And I oh, yeah. believe I, I might be mistaken about this, but I believe she got almost the entirety of her undergrad tuition to Harvard covered specifically through these random, like completely unknown funds and grants and scholarships and stuff just random stuff random memorial funds and shit that have been set up and if you you know have you know you played lacrosse or something and and this person that was you know unfortunately passed away in a car accident or something and has a fund set up in their name they also played lacrosse like you are eligible for that that memorial fund scholarship like it's it's incredible what's out there if you if you look so, it's almost a part-time yeah. job when you're when you're a junior or senior in high school. It but is, if you think, yeah. But if you think about it, like you're getting that's that's what you're doing. You're getting paid for that time spent 
Um, you're just getting paid in scholarship money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, a, cu- a couple weekends, well, more than a couple, probably let's say, say two months worth of weekends spent at the library submitting for applying for these things, researching them, and then four years of free school. We just got to work your butt off, but yeah. that's the name yeah. of the game, right? Yeah. Don't let anybody outwork you. So, Susan, thank you so much for the question. Uh, let us know, uh, um, you know, what you choose, uh, how this pans out. Really excited for you. And I think that's a great idea, AJ, about maybe contacting a production company and saying, like, I'm yours <laughs> if you can uh, hook me up a little bit here right now. Just something like that. Maybe not that specifically, but something Just like that. Just saying get creative. That's all. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. Uh, I love that thinking outside the box. It's what we do here on Inside Acting. That's right. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to jump into the third of four parts of our chat with Jenna Fisher. She's an actress and producer. You guys know her from The Office and the past two episodes of the podcast. Uh, gotten a lot of great feedback on our interview with her so far. And guys, it only gets better. It only gets better. So as always, we recommend you have some sort of note capturing device with you while you listen to this. And, uh, and then just enjoy the hell out of it. Okay, and we'll see you on the other side. the time that I finished it, I got this idea for a little film called Lolly Love, which I thought, um, I don't know why I became inspired by this idea of making like a mockumentary, like what Christopher Guest did, um, only trick people into thinking it's a real documentary about two wealthy, uh, about a wealthy couple who believe that by handing out lollipops to the homeless, they can change uh, the lives of homeless people. So this was my idea. It was like... Oh, my God. And by the way, this was before I had... The only thing I was really basing this idea on was like Christopher Guest movies and the characters like you'd see in Christopher Guest. But I was like, but when you watch those, you know that's a movie. You know, you don't think it's a documentary. So I hadn't seen like Borat or any of that stuff yet where you're like really tricking people. Um, except for, you know, seeing like, you know, uh, like the Jamie Kennedy experiment, like shows like that where they'd be like pranking someone. So I wanted to combine those two things. And this was my thing that came out when I was doing the artist way. And I thought, well, what's stopping me from, from this? So I, uh, I was married at the time to a different person that I'm married to now, but I was married at the time and we had gotten a little camcorder as a wedding gift. So I called up my friends and I, a bunch of girls and I said, do you guys want to just come over and I'm, we're all going to pretend to be these workers in my charity that I'm like the head of, uh, and we're going to discuss the charity. And I gave them each sort of roles based on like their personalities. Like there was a shy girl, there was like, you know, a, a girl who was like, like very vain, like, you know, just like all these just sort of like loose characters. And then I, I just recorded us pretending to have a meeting for Lolly Love. And we just had fun. It was just fun. That was it. It was just like cool. And 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 I should say this idea was also based on 
um, a job I got. Um, I had auditioned for uh, a role on this show called Undeclared. It was a Judd Apatow show. And I booked a one-line role on Undeclared. One line. But for this one-line role, I was asked to come in and rehearse and improv with the leads because this was, I think, the pilot. So even though I only had one line, I was asked to come in and Judd was there. And through the improv, I ended up getting two lines. I doubled my role. 200%. Yeah. And I loved the fact that Judd valued every single person, even the person who said one line. He was like, you need to be at this rehearsal. Uh, You're as important as the leads. And um, we had so much fun that day. And he had a camera set up and he recorded us. And when I went to do the job, like a week later, he, there was one of the lines from our improv that he included. So I sort of thought like, yeah, I should, I have really funny friends and I have this funny idea. I'm going to set up a camera like Judd did. And I'm just going to let us riff on this idea and see what comes out of it. So I did that like for a few weekends over a few months. Now I should say my friends were Judy Greer, Linda Cardellini, Jason Siegel. Okay. Mike, me too. Right? Me. Now, but they, you know, Judy was Judy, okay? And Linda and Jason had done Freaks and Geeks, but Freaks and Geeks was like a huge phenomenon. But like, you know, they weren't Linda Cardellini and Jason Siegel. You know, they were just like my friends coming to my house. And um, but this is the value in working with your creative friends. They're funny. They're funnier than me. Than getting them on tape, being funny. And so after a while, I decided to take the tapes and write a script by transcribing the tapes. And we had like these interview segments where I interviewed people like a documentarian. This was like over the course of a year we did this. Then I came up with a script and I asked everyone, would you be willing to actually shoot this like a movie, like now like a scripted idea? And we did. And I produced it and I quote unquote directed it. But I mean... I didn't know what I was doing. Let's be honest. It was basically directed by Pete Alton, who was the guy who was our camera operator. Everybody worked for free. Everybody just did it for free. Like, it took months because it was like, when's everyone available? How about Saturday this month and maybe Thursday next month, you know? Um, And then Pete edited it amazingly. And, um, And we ended up selling it to Troma Films for zero dollars. Uh, but it got released. You know, you can get it on DVD. Yeah. yeah. Um, my ex-husband had a uh, had worked for Trauma, and they thought it was really funny and irreverent and, you know, a great movie. And it was just really fun to get it out there, this project mm. that just started as notes from the artist way, just like from my writings in the artist way. And um, I just enrolled all my friends in this idea and this project, and we had a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. But here's the part about it that... Um, is the synchronicity that they talk about in The Artist's Way. So after I got done making that movie, Allison Jones called me and asked me if I'd like to audition for The Office. Um, The Office is a mock documentary where you speak to the camera and you pretend like you're really in a documentary. I just spent a year of my life practicing that. For what reason? I don't know. That's just synchronicity. That's Mm -hmm. just listening to your inspiration and seeing where it takes you. I was ready for that audition on the office because I'd spent a year practicing it. I spent a year doing. 
I spent a year just following that. And it's funny because after, also after I finished making that movie, I saw the British office and I was like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. That was my idea done a thousand times better. You know, I'm like, oh boy, I, that wasn't an original thought at all. And look, how, look what they did with it. You know, that was yeah. like just the most brilliant thing I'd ever seen. And, um, and I was like, well, I had the idea. I just didn't do the execution quite the same. Wow. But then I got the opportunity to use that experience on my audition. So while you were uh, making this this film, and you said it was a year? A year in the About making? a year, like over the course of just like, you know, yeah, because yeah. it just took so long to make it happen. Yeah, I, I love the process too, by the way, of recording a sort of jam session. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And then transcribing those notes into like see what pieces you can put. Like that's how Tom works. Our buddy yeah. Tom is a playwright, <clears throat> brilliant playwright, and a lot of the scripts that he writes are sourced from these like improv things that we all do together. And yeah. it's so cool to see like this unexpected stuff show up in the, the pages we get the next day. Yeah. It's like, oh, I remember saying that. I don't know why I said that, <laughs> but now it's in the script. Yeah. So I think that's that's a brilliant sort of method to to find your way into a story. Well, I knew that I wasn't a writer and I'm not a writer, not a script writer. And um but I wanted to make this. And so mm. I was like, well, how do I get around that flaw <laughs> in me by exploiting the talents of others, you know? <laughs> and it is a collaborative business. And by the way, I mean, I think that probably if I had gone to that group of friends just with a script I'd written, I'm not sure, like, my script wouldn't have been funny enough on its own, and, and I'm not sure they would, would would have wanted to give up their time, but I was saying, like, you want to create something? Like, you want to just play? And I think that that was part of maybe why we all got excited about the idea, was that everyone felt like they created their own character, they created their own part, you know? Yeah. And Judy ended up being in it, and Linda and Jason ended up being in it, and it was really fun. Linda and Jason try to play, like, a couple, they play a couple, like, a reasonable couple trying to talk us out of our idea and we're not hearing them it's a really funny scene that's awesome we go to dinner and they're just like they're like yeah guys <laughs> i don't know it's such a good idea we're like it's a great idea what do you mean that's so cool so so while you were making that you were also auditioning and, yes. and doing the hustle yeah i was auditioning i was doing pilot season i was you know booking sort of random guest spots on things here and there. I really had two casting directors that were big fans of mine. They were Allison Jones and Bonnie Zane. These are two good casting directors yeah. to have like you. And, and Gail Pillsbury, too, as well. She used to call me in a lot. But um, these two women, Allison and Bonnie, um, they called me back a lot to their office. And I, and I also tell actors, like, don't gauge your success on how much you're booking Gauge how much you're get gauge it on how much you're getting called back, because Allison called me into her office over over years, over five years. She called me in first for Freaks and Geeks for three lines. I didn't get it. She called me in for a series regular on Undeclared. I didn't get it. I booked one line. Then she called me for a Stephen King miniseries. Not only did I not get it, I gave one of the worst auditions I've ever given. I skipped a friend's wedding to go to this audition and. And, and I remember Allison's face being like, you know, this isn't your thing. It was like a drama or something. And I was like, I know, I know. Just please call me again for something funny. Wow. <laughs> you know? Like, 
Oh, excuse uh, myself. Yeah, and she did. And then <clears throat> and then I, I booked a job through her office, a three-line role on Spin City, when Charlie Sheen was on Spin City. Not the Michael J. Fox years, but the Charlie Sheen years. And um, so it's just like little jobs here and there over the course of many years that I would book or not book with Allison. She called me in for pilots, and I'd maybe get to the producer level, and that's all. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Bonnie Zane, I think I tested for two pilots that Bonnie cast, but then didn't get the job. But these two people, they called me in time after time. And, um, and that's really what you want. You just want to have a relationship with casting directors that's based on a consistent body of work. I love those words. Consistent body of work. That's your goal. That you are an actor that they know can deliver and they're not afraid to bring in front of directors and producers because you're not going to embarrass them. Hmm. You are a solid choice. And then eventually Allison called me in for the office. But yeah, over those years when I was making Lolly Love, I was also just trying to get auditions and trying to book guest spots and Mm -hmm. things like that. And it was mostly television-based, but I had a couple of, again, three, four-line roles in movies. You know, one of the things that I ran into the most in the testing process, which was very frustrating, was that I would pre-read. I'd get a call back. I'd do a producer session. I'd do a director session. I'd do a work session. Then they'd say, we want you to test for the role. I'd be like, amazing, I'm testing for the role. Test deal is done. I walk into the test, and it's Allison Hannigan sitting next to me. And Allison Hannigan was Allison Hannigan, too. And, and, I, and she's like straight to test. Right? It's like, I've been auditioning for a month. Allison walks in, gets the job. I can't tell you how many jobs I lost Mm. to Allison Hannigan. Not a bad person to lose a job to, by the way. But very often, I was this unknown actress, this no-name actress, who I could manage to, like, you know, work my way up to a test, but then they wanted a name. Or they offered it to a name. Even though they'd gone through this Mm. whole process of auditioning people. And then again, this is when luck plays into people's careers. The office came around and the casting notice specifically said no names. So finally, my lack of commercial success was... <laughs> that was yeah, that, yes. it was the thing I needed. Wow. Because, you know, there are things about this business where, like, talent isn't enough. It's talent plus readiness plus timing plus luck plus are you too tall? Do you look too much like the other person? There's so many arbitrary things that go into the casting process. I know a lot of actors who are actively building relationships with casting directors. You know, they've done the research. They know what shows those, those directors are working on and, or if they move offices, you know, they follow them. They're sending the postcards, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it, it irks me implicit in that relationship building a lot of times I sense as an outsider and so this might be my own sort of bias Mm -hmm. but I sense a sort of like brown nosing Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious what was what works for you uh, in building these specific types of relationships people who are really the, the, the kind of the gatekeepers you know both of those relationships with Bonnie Zane and with Allison Jones started with general meetings that my manager set with these women. And we just hit it off. Genuinely hit it off as people. Um, I've gone to lots of general meetings and I don't hit it off genuinely with the person. And so uh, we talked about things other than acting. I remember talking about hometown weddings with Bonnie Zane and laughing about 
bridesmaids dresses and it was just a nice conversation mm-hmm. and then from that she said you know what I actually I have a pilot that has a guest spot on it that you might be great for I'm, I'm gonna call you in for it and she called me in now she's not gonna keep calling me in because we had a great conversation that day she's only gonna keep calling me in if I deliver the work and so I think that truly the only way to build relationships with casting directors is by delivering the work but in both those cases, we happened to have a nice meeting. But with Gail Pillsbury, I never took a meeting with her. I just was called into her office for an audition, and I did good. Hmm. And she put me down on her list of people to remember, and she called me back. And I think that there's really no amount of like gift baskets yeah. or <laughs> postcards or remembering and, their birthday yeah. that is going to make them call you in. It might remind them that they like you as an actor, but there, there's just no amount of that that's going to get you mm-hmm. like a relationship. Because they, I mean, look at it from their point of view. Like, you can't, like, if you don't think the person can deliver the audition, you're not going to bring them in front of the people who have hired you to find someone for a role. Because you're like, well, they remembered my birthday. They're very nice. I know they're completely wrong for the role, but and they're an iffy actor. But I, they're so but those nice. Co- but those cookies are delicious. Yeah. Yes, like that yes. just like isn't gonna happen. And so some of that I think can be a waste of time. But also there's value in it from the sense that like just emotionally you need to feel like you're doing something. Mm. I sent out postcards. You know when I was in that play. We moved it to a theater in Hollywood after the one at the warehouse. We put it up again in Hollywood, a much safer place. And I'm like, I got an agent from this, so I should invite people. So I printed out a postcard with some good quotes from our reviews and a picture of me. And I, I did a mass mailing to casting directors. I'm sure no one came from my mass mailing that said, like, use this for two free tickets at the box off, you know, and right. everything. But it felt good to do it. I felt like I was doing something. And um, it, it wasn't that expensive, so I just did it. So if you need that in order to just give yourself a job, that's okay, too. Then there's stories. Of, you hear stories about people who sent a postcard, and then they get an audition the next day. So that happens, too. You don't know. You don't yeah. know. You have to just try everything. Yeah. There's no script for it. Yeah. But ultimately, those relationships come from delivering the work. Hmm. Yeah. We, I was just going to say, this is going to sound really funny with you as our guest, because one of the things we say on the podcast is don't book the role, book the office. <laughs> Which has a double meaning with you. Jenna's like, really, check. Yeah, she's like, done. No, I'm that's book right. The that's... office. Yeah. <laughs> Underline. Yeah. Um, Capital T. That's <laughs> great great thing to say yeah i love that yeah because i mean you know you said the exact same thing just using different words just you know um it's it's not about necessarily booking that that one role you you know you go in for and i love that you are basing the 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 continued relationship on the actual work yes because if there's one thing i appreciate like my manager is a bit of a character on the podcast because i talk (laughs) about her a lot but one of the things that i have always appreciated about her is um you know, she is the one that has instilled in me, like, it's not the fucking font on your resume or your headshot that's going to book you a role. That's it's right. not like some, you know, whatever, you know, the stories that we make up in our heads uh, as actors, you know, it's, 
it's really funny because there are people out there who might sit next to the person who's you know preparing their headshot at a reproductions house and go, mm, can we do? Can we try a different font? Can we try that font but bold? Can we make it longer? What if I've done just, all that things. I've been smaller? that. Way. Yeah, right. Exactly. And <laughs> we it's all like, have. Yeah. We all have. We've all made up. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be the font on your on your headshot, but it, we've all made up you know some story about the things that will book us the job or not or, or create that relationship or not when re- really like I said one of the things I appreciate most about her is she's always instilled in me like it's about the work like that's the only thing that's going to book you the job it's the only thing that's going to get you called back into the office for that role or another one and I find that that's the <laughs> thing that aspiring actors work on the least they work the least on becoming better actors mm. they work very hard tirelessly checking the font making postcards doing mailings doing blind submissions, doing showcases, but they spend they they spend a disproportionate amount of time on uh, is that the word? Is that did I say the word right? Sometimes I make up words. Um, they fine. don't it made sense. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they don't spend enough time and I'm saying this from personal experience. I didn't spend in the early years, I spent more time on those things than I did on just being better. And, and I also have to say that one of the big things that changed for me was that I learned how to audition effectively. I didn't, I was a trained theater actor. I could like wow you after five weeks of rehearsing a play. But what I didn't know how to do was uh, walk in and get some sides and 30 minutes later wow you with an on tape audition. I didn't know how to get a pilot script the night before and go in and like show you a series regular character on a show. I didn't know how to do the work faster. And I also just in the room of the audition, I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know how to conduct myself. That was something I didn't learn in school. And so I really advise new actors to get into some sort of audition class. How to audition class. I think I know the best one. It's the one I went to. Um, it's Robert Devonzo's six-week on-camera audition class. And in fact, he would be a really great person to interview for your podcast. <laughs> um, after I took his class, everything changed for me. It's a six-week on-camera audition class. After two weeks, I started getting callback, 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 mm. callback. Got 12 callbacks in a row. My agency... Uh, who was ready to drop me except for Tony the guy who would come see me in the play was like don't drop her I love Jenna and you know I followed him from agency to agency he was a really big cheerleader for me speaking of cheerleaders Um, but the people who ran his agency were they weren't sending he was the only one in his agency that ever tried to get me auditions so now all of a sudden like they have a meeting I come in and I meet with like the partners of the agency because I've gotten 12 callbacks then I start booking little roles like the momentum that happened for me when I learned how to audition was incredible mm. and it was like the simplest adjustments like things that like in hindsight I'm like how was I not doing that like a really simple one I never asked any questions at auditions because I thought it would make me look like I didn't know what I was doing. So I went in and I'm like, I guess I'll just show you what I think. I'll show you my take on it. Um, But Robert taught me about what questions you can ask and how to ask them, how to use the time in the room efficiently so that um, you're getting everything out of that session that you can to give them the performance that they're looking for. Because they are looking for something, you know? And, uh, part of getting the role is figuring out like what service you're supposed to give them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing he taught me was there's nothing more annoying than like when you have a clogged toilet and you call a plumber 
to unclog the toilet and they try to sell you a new bathtub or new pipes, don't be that guy. Don't be that actor. If you're being called in for a three-line role, just deliver the three lines honestly. Don't sell them a bathtub. Be the witness to the crime. It's enough. You're enough. Mm. And um, I was like, right, right. I don't need a character backstory to say, would you like Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> just ask. Just right. ask, would you like Coke or Pepsi? Excellent. I'll be right back with that, sir. You know, it's like that's, that's all the auditions I was going in on. Yeah. And I was overcomplicating them. You know, trying to like find a way to be funny or stand out in my five lines. But the truth is, my job was to set up the lead actor to look good. Right. Yeah. Not to yeah. look good myself. It goes back to that whole thing. Like, how do you enrich the other person's performance? Yeah. That's a great thing about imp- studying improv, too. Improv is all about yes and. It's all about setting up your partner to get have the funny line, not you. Being able to be, you know just the person that like pitches the perfect pitch to make someone else hit the home run yeah yeah. and uh and that so those things shifted my ability to get jobs as well wow i love that i did a thing at new york station film at vassar college one summer and uh i met juliana margulies and this was back when er was on and she was you know um i mean she's obviously still a big deal uh with um What's that show? Yeah, the good way. Um, but anyway, I, I asked her, I said, you know, what's what's the one thing? And I was like, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old. I said, what's the one thing that um, that you would, you know, pass on? And she said, uh, be a generous actor. And she said, just constantly be giving the other person everything they need to have a, a rock star performance. And I never forgot that. I thought, that is that feeling. Marissa Tomei was there as well, and I think... I think she was actually part of that conversation, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> it was cool. So, like, it's uh, yeah. it's great to hear it echoed again. You know? Yeah, like, that's it. Really comes from generosity. Yeah. Hey, folks, welcome back. Just think, you don't have to say goodbye yet. Part three, and you still don't have to say goodbye. We got more uh, Jenna Fisher goodness coming. It's amazing. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. What's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week, I've actually, I believe I've made this artist slash musician uh, a pick of mine in the past. She had a really great album out a year or two ago called Winterwell, and she has a new single out right now called Talk About, and her name is Marie, M-R-E-E, and you can find her online at mariemusic.com, M-R-E-E music.com, and she's just a really... Um, creative musician. I really love the way her mind works and her music is really expressive and, and she's very much a DIY musician. She does most of her recording on her own. She does, She's not signed. She's an indie musician that just kind of, you know, puts her stuff up on iTunes by herself. And it, the, the single's awesome. It's awesome. It's called Talk About. You can find it uh, on her website. There's also a link on our and the show notes of our our show but it's, it's it's good listening and and marie if you're listening huge fan um want to do an interview let me know <laughs> thanks oh that was so cute that was awesome <laughs> that was amazing i i changed my pick of the week in light of uh world events uh it's just going to be paris right now obviously france has uh, closed its borders but you know what always happens uh with incidences like this is you know the the, the people become afraid and they don't visit a city, and not only does that affect you know tourism dollars, but affects local businesses and the people that live there, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just such a beautiful city. I would never want anyone to let fear you know 
be the reason they didn't do something. I've been there. Um, I had some amazing experiences. I've got some great stories about Paris specifically. It's such a gorgeous city and the people are really cool. And uh, oh man, it's just so heartbreaking. But um, I just, there's a link to the Paris um, tourism uh, office on our website. And um, I also wanted to follow up uh, and say that a former uh, pick of mine is actually airing on CNN, The Hunting Ground. Um, also not a very you know fun topic and you know really uh, emotional, but a very important film. And uh, it's going to air two days after we go live with this. It's Thursday, November 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on CNN. We'll have a couple of links to uh, their website, and you can join and host uh, screening parties and stuff and invite friends over and stuff. It's a, it's a really important film. If you don't remember me talking about it uh, prior, um, you can look it up. Awesome. And uh, and check it out, but it's going to be on television. So I just wanted to kind of let people know. Very cool. All right, sweet. So that is Marie and her newest single, "Talk About Paris," as a wonderful destination and city to check out. And then the Hunting Ground on CNN. And uh, we're also going to go ahead and throw a link to the Artist's Way in the show notes for this episode because it's been talked about so much in this interview series with Jenna and AJ. You and I have both at least taken you know a, a stab at it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what you know, what I've experienced with it has been very valuable. And actually, in the new year, I'm going to tackle it anew and finish Here it we go. this time. Here it's we actually going to. That's right. I'm right there with you, bro. Let's all do right, it. Let's all right. It's on. It's on. So uh, check those out, guys. And thanks for listening. I think that's all we've got for this episode of uh, Inside Acting. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Kubrick is our marketing web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And newly married Deborah Smith is our community manager. Did she change her name? Should, I, should we be saying something I, different I now? I haven't heard anything about that, but I don't know. All right. Well, she listens to the episode. So, <laughs> Deb, if we need to like say something different, let us know. Uh, Trevor Algat edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and your reviews in both of those uh, places are hugely appreciated. A special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and Viotagogo.com, and thanks to you, our loyal listeners. If you love Inside Acting and want to maximize its value in your life and career, sign up as a monthly member get cool perks like access to our membership message board cool freebies invites to exclusive member meetups discounts and on merchandise and much much more there's uh, some exciting stuff about the membership coming down the pipeline so you'll definitely want to get in on the ground floor on that just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to do so that's it for episode 215 of inside acting thank you so much for listening everybody we'll see you next week and in the meantime tell a compassionate story (laughs) 